your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The women's final four is now set, and the New Orleans Pelicans, winner, winner, chicken dinner. There we go. Five in a row for the Pellies, who, believe it or not, are now all the way up. (laughs) They're a game out of fifth place. Is that the latest I saw? Welcome to the Western Conference in the 2023 season. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the EVCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, a.k.a. D-Low, a.k.a. the man that's been pushing positivity for the New Orleans Pelicans for months you on the show, saying that, and I haven't, but it's okay because I'm going to now. Game and a half out of fifth, two games out of fourth. Welcome fourth. to the Western Conference. Just welcome to the Western Conference. With last night's win, now it was against a Portland Trail Blazers team that has opted to shut things down, playing G League players and in, sh- in, in shutting down Damian Lillard. So. Let's be fair here during this run, but you have to beat the terrible teams that you're facing. And that's something that the Pelicans have struggled with all season long. Losing to the Houston Rockets, losing to the Spurs, losing to a a terrible team out of the Eastern Conference. But they've won five straight. They're seven. They've won seven of their last ten. Five straight, Brandon Ingram's playing at a great level. Trey Murphy's finding himself, so it seems like, and I know it's early, but it seems like we're getting that late season push we saw a year ago. Now, I don't know why it took Willie Green and the Pelicans this long to kind of figure it out. Don't really know why. But here they are. And because of the logjam in the Western Conference standings, they have a legitimate chance of maybe even sneaking into a top six seed. Now, they also have a chance to fall out of the play-in tournament altogether. That's how tight it is. And the thing that's going to happen is that you're not going to see teams take games off towards the end because everyone is jockeying for playoff positioning. As the standings are this morning, Nuggets, Grizzlies already into the playoffs, right? They're your one seed, your two seed. They're in. So they're good to go. They've already clinched their divisions. Sacramento is at the three spot. Phoenix is still at four. They're just hovering around four and six, four and six in their last 10. The Clippers can never stay healthy. 
but they have been seven and three in their last ten. The Timberwolves, who I kept saying, hey, Minnesota has now jumped up to the six line, by the way. It was like a month ago they weren't even in the playing tournament. But Timberwolves and the Warriors had the same identical record. A half game behind them are the Pelicans at eight. A full game behind them are the Lakers at nine and the Oklahoma City Thunder. But then you got the Mavericks, who, by the way, finally won a game. They used to call T.O. Team Obliterator. I think that name needs to be now given to Kyrie Irving. Just going to throw that out there. That guy is just... Maybe he's a nice guy, but he obliterates teams. Just like you add him to the mix and the worst worst possible things happen to your team. The Jazz are fading. They, they finally have accepted their fate of trying to be a lottery pick. Trey Blazers doing the same thing. So... Really, you have what I would consider six teams going to be battling it out for the final spot as the six seed or the four playing tournament spots. That's what it feels like. Yeah, and the good news is now with with what you mentioned, with the way it's shaking out with some of those teams, only one of those teams is not going to make the playing tournament, and... I still feel like Oklahoma City's just holding on by a thread. I just feel like that could kind of fade any day now. But they're 6-4 and four in their last yeah, 10. And the problem is SGA is just so good, so he's going to carry them to some wins. But Right. So, like, I just... But the point is you don't have to beat out... There's not going to be... You know, there's not six spots for nine teams anymore. There's now six spots for seven teams. So you're only, only one of these teams, as long as you're not the worst of the bunch, which, by the way, who's the team in front of the Pelicans... The Golden State Warriors, who do they play tonight? The Golden State Warriors on the road, second of a back-to-back. The good news there, though, is that they were able to pull some starters, and no one played over 31 minutes, I think, last night because of how dominant you were. They were up by 20 at the end of the first quarter. So hopefully you saved uh, you know, saved some juice and you'll have some energy for that game tonight because if you do want to make a run at that sixth seed, which would be nice, tonight's probably the most important game the rest of the way because Golden State is directly in your path for that. So that's going to be interesting to see. And you played what we call the soft part of the schedule. And you did what you were supposed to do because now you put yourself firmly back into the playing tournament conversation, right? You beat the Rockets and the Spurs who were already eliminated from playoff contention. You beat Charlotte, who's awful. You beat the Clippers without Paul George. And then you beat the Trailblazers who have shut down Dame Lillard and are tanking the rest of the season. So you did what you were supposed to do, Dawson. You beat the bad teams on your schedule. You beat the wounded teams on your schedule. Now it comes down to these last seven games. At Golden State tonight. At Denver on Thursday. Versus the Clippers back at home. Versus Sacramento back at home versus Memphis back at home, versus the Knicks back at home, and then on the road at the T-Wolves. So they're going to earn their spot in the playing tournament, is what I'm saying, because all these teams are still playing for something. I know Denver's already clinched to their division, but they want the number one seed. Memphis wants to continue playing hard. The Knicks are going to be jockeying for playoff position in the East. Minnesota will be jockeying for playoff position in the West in that last game. Everyone's going to have something on the line. 
Yeah, either you're going to earn it or someone else is going to really not earn it and you'll sneak in. Because <laughs> as I mentioned, that's, that's the good news for the Pelicans as far as getting into the play-in tournament. They, there's, a much, there's more of a margin for error now than there was uh, I would because agree. of those teams that fell out. But, and yeah. and because, the, uh, because the Pelicans went out and won five straight games yeah. against teams right. they should have beat. And the other thing that, you know, I mentioned the Golden State game tonight's crucial if you're trying to jump up the six line. Then the other one is they finish the season with Minnesota. So we'll see at that point that could be a battle. For, I've been telling you that for 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 almost a month that Minnesota well, game looks yeah, like. Yeah, and, and now the good news, though, is that it's not going to be, hopefully, it's not going to be to get into the playing tournament, but it's going to be to move your seating around as opposed to at the, it, for a long time it felt like. Now it still could be. It could It could determine. Which one of those teams gets the sixth the home, seed, and which one gets the play-in could, tournament? Well, it could it could determine that. It could determine who's the seven versus eight, which yep. is who who gets the home court advantage in that game. Again, the other big difference that we've we've talked about with the play-in tournament. I don't know if we've covered this part that much. It's a huge difference to be eight versus nine. That's where that cutoff is of having to play that extra game. You get Correct. that second chance essentially. If you're the seven or eight seed, you play that first game. If you win it, you're in. And if you lose, you get the second chance. If you're the 9 or 10, you have to win just to get to the game where you're hoping to get in. So that's all going to play out, and that should be really intriguing. But, yeah, you don't play a team below 500 the rest of the way. Um, the cupcakes are done. And now the good news is a lot of those games are at home, as we just kind of went through. But all of a sudden, the Pelicans are a decent road team uh, the last week and a half. So that's interesting to see, especially the Clippers win. Because, again, yeah, they are missing some guys, but they're still a pretty good team. And the Pelicans were dominant on the road and, and you know, in the formerly Staples Center, now what is it, Crypto Arena? Whatever the the heck it's called. <laughs> so <laughs> I still remember the Lakers playing in the form. So the other thing that's happened in the last five games, we, we focused on Bi and, and rightfully so. He's played at a very high level offensively, uh, doing a great job of creating his own shots and executing. Valachunas is back from the dead. He looked lost. He looked like a guy that they were going to have to move on from this offseason. And this is what he's done in that five-game stretch. He's led the team in rebounds every single game, 12, 15, 19, 13, and last night he had 21. So he's returning back to form. So you have B.I. playing to his potential. You have Valachunas doing what he does best, which is pound the glass, get the boards, you're getting contributions from C.J. McCollum. You're getting contributions from Trey Murphy. This is a winning formula for this team. Yeah, and, and the the really the kind of interesting thing is that it's been both ends. It's been it hasn't been we we for so long we were like, well, the defense is playing okay. It's just if they can score, and then all of a sudden the defense went out of the window and they just weren't doing anything well. Um, the other thing too that I'll say about this five game winning streak because you don't want to take too too much of it because again there's maybe one game on that list that was impressive and that was the Clippers game and even they are injured so it's they have not Correct. beaten anyone that's you know got some substantial weight to it but well, worth worth a darn right yeah yeah but they've dominated and so early in the season even when they played bad teams they were struggling to get those wins mm-hmm. and they were they were playing these games out into deep into the fourth quarter and. You know, usually it would be a big lead that they would let the lead evaporate and then they'd have to kind of grind out the last few minutes to win the game. They've handled these games. And last night, the Portland game, which thankfully I appreciate what they did because it was a little after, you know, nine o'clock West Coast tip. I was like, I don't want to stay up for this. I said, let me see how it goes, though. <laughs> they did you solid, did they? First time I turned it on, they're up by 15, like four minutes into the game. So I said, okay, I can go to sleep. 
I'll do a little recap. I'll kind of catch up on things in the morning, and that's what they did, and I'm appreciative to Willie Green's team for that especially. But the thing is is that they have to keep their foot on the pedal. They have seven games left, and we just broke it down for you. There's barely any separation between the five and six spot all the way down to the 13 spot. So right now, they're on the door knocking to get in to be the sixth seed. But if they lose tonight and Thursday, they could easily be down to 10. That's, I mean, that's how fluid the situation is with the Western Conference playoff picture. It's absolutely ridiculous how fluid it is. It changes. We've talked about it on the show. Dawson, it changes every day. Every day it changes on who looks like they're trending in the right way, who looks like they're not trending in the right way, particularly with the Western Conference. You look at the East. Bucks, Celtics, 76ers, Cavs have already clinched. Those are your top four teams, and it's not even close. They're like, hey, these are the four best teams in the conference. Done. They're already into the playoff picture. I mean, that, that that's already done. Already clinched playoff berths. Yeah, there's, you know... By the way, two more 9 o'clock tips. It's tonight and then Thursday against Denver. Gross. And then, you know, thankfully, they're back in the central time zone. They'll play some 7 o'clock games moving forward. But um, already thinking about trying to avoid the the 8 seed to play Denver. Not, not because of the matchup. Don't care about the matchup. Just because I don't want the West Coast start times in the playoffs. So that's what oh. we're, we need to focus on getting to the 7 seed so that I can stay up without having... I mean, I'm going to stay up and watch anyway for the playoff games, but... That way I can come in with this type of energy I got right now. I feel great. Again, they, they they took care of business in the first quarter. I went to sleep. It's a great night, great day. Um and the Knicks will be fighting too, because I just well, want to double say, check that. That's exactly what I was gonna look at. There's a there's a chance by that time though, you know, if depending on what Brooklyn does, that New York could be kind of locked into that five slot. We'll see. Um, and maybe they have an opportunity to rest guys. That's that's looking ahead, and I'm not sure that's likely. But there is a chance that the Knicks won't have much to play for. Well, I think they're going to battle Miami for that last for to to see who's going to be five. To right, five you'll have seed. you'll have Miami and Brooklyn both kind of in that picture. So Correct. If, if things maybe play out, because that's what maybe the, you know that's the next to last game before that. It's it's the final home right, game. So you have right. a, so by that time. The Knicks might have solidified that spot, and maybe that can help. But again, you're, you're going to have to beat good teams. There's no way around that. So, And the Knicks are coached by Tom Thibodeau. He's known for not giving his players rest. <laughs> Some time to his and his players' uh, detriment, by the way. Um, it's kind of how he rolls. But it's fascinating. And look, the NBA playoff standings, in particular the Western Conference standings, change by the day. So we'll get on the air tomorrow, and it'll probably be wildly different than what it is right now. We got to take a time out. When we return, Saints make a move at wide receiver. Is it a big deal or is it not? We'll discuss that and unveil our poll question of the day. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
the Saints have collected themselves another former Oakland slash Las Vegas Raider. Yesterday, it was announced they signed wide receiver Brian Edwards to a deal. Now, if you remember Edwards, he was an absolute stud at South Carolina in college. Set their record for all-time receptions, Mark, all-time receiving yards, all-time consecutive games with a reception. He was an absolute phenomenal wide receiver for the Gamecocks. Third-round pick of the Raiders, and really didn't do much of anything. He only has 48 receptions for 779 yards and four touchdowns in a career. The Raiders cut him after two seasons. He was cut after two seasons. Now, he does have playing experience, 15 starts, and appeared in 28 games for Las Vegas. Played, of course, with Derek Carr. Had four touchdowns. But then he gets signed by Atlanta, well, actually traded to Atlanta for a seventh-round pick. So the Raiders the dysfunctional franchise they are, decided to dump this guy. He's not worth it. We're trading him for a seventh-round pick, which is barely anything. And he plays for the Falcons last year, and he wasn't good enough to get on the field for the Falcons, and they needed wide receivers because they had one suspended for the entire year, and they didn't have really anybody else. And then they cut him. They cut him. And he was signed as the practice squad player for the Chiefs. So we don't know the terms of the deal for Edwards, He's got the type, right? He, he's the big body wide receiver, six foot three, 215 pounds, and maybe you can develop this kid into something. But this does not solve the Saints' problems at wide receiver. Does not solve their problems at wide receiver. Getting a guy who's going to be on his third team in literally the last 12 months does not solve the problems. And it's not to say that Edwards can't turn into something, but when I saw this deal get done yesterday, my first thought was, well, this is a guy that's going to have to battle Traquan Smith for a roster spot in camp. By the way, Traquan Smith is still on the roster. I know many of you out there as members of Houdat Nation would really like it if Traquan Smith was no longer on the team. But he's there. You're looking at it from a different angle than I looked at it. I didn't even I didn't even go to this whole like this isn't going to solve the problems thing. This is just an upside play. This guy this isn't an expectations signing. This is a a high upside play for a guy who's always had tons of talent. Now had signs of breaking out in 21 as well. He really did. There was some there was a lot of chatter about him um, in you know fantasy football as like a sleeper guy. Um, and then amongst you know the actual NFL offenses about the you know the, what the Raiders were trying to do with him, and he started to have a little bit of production. We talked about it. so in, in in that one season where he played all 16 games and started 12 of them, he had 571 receiving yards and three touchdowns. It felt like momentum was building for Brian Edwards, and then what happens? The Raiders bring in Josh McDaniels, who clearly didn't really see the same mm-hmm. thing, and they ship him off to Atlanta where it doesn't work out. So while I'm not saying. This is a surefire thing. I think Brian Edwards is maybe a bit of a victim of circumstance with the way things went down in Vegas. He's got a ton of talent. And again, yeah, we don't know the terms of the deal, but I can't imagine he was very expensive. He's familiar with the quarterback and Derek Carr. I like the signing. It's a high upside, low risk signing. But it doesn't fix your issue. But Michael and, Thomas maybe does. Well, that's my that's well, my thing there. Here's Here's my thing. Look, you take a flyer on this kid. He can turn into something good. That's great. And he does know Derek. 
So you're helping your new quarterback out as well, having someone already in the wide receiving core they're just familiar with. That helps as well. So I understand why the deal's made. But here's your wide receiving room. Chris Olave coming off a strong rookie season. Great. Right? Shahid th- uh, showed you, what, four plays? More than that. Is he a legitimate number two or number three option in the NFL as it stands right now? Number three? Sure. Yes. Uh, no. I need more. Like, that's my point. You get fooled by these type of things. We were tricked into, as a general public, and Saints fans were tricked into believing that Callaway was a legitimate number two, number three wide receiver in the NFL. He's not. So, you've been down this road before. I like Shahid, but I need to see development. I need to see him to be able to take that next step. So, you don't know if he can or not. We know Chris Olave can play in the NFL. We saw it last year. So, that's a certainty. Okay, you got that taken care of. I know Michael Thomas can play if he's healthy. He hasn't played in three years. Shahid is potential, but not proven. Well, Traquan Smith is a bum. He can block. That's why he's on the roster. The only reason why Traquan Smith has a job in the NFL is because the Saints love the fact that he can run block. Look, I will take Traquan Smith as that fifth, sixth wide receiver roster filler guy over Keith Kirkwood being it any day of the week. So. <laughs> another, another guy, another training camp star that they tried to convince us was going to be a legitimate wide receiver. Probably will find his way onto the Broncos roster, I'd imagine, here with Sean yes. Payton reuniting yes. the band. Yeah, Sean loved taking flyers on guys at the wide receiver position. So, look. If I'm the Saints, my point is this. Michael Thomas is a what if. Can he be healthy for a season? If he is, even if you get 75% of what Mike used to be, that's a win, right? But you don't know if Mike's going to be able to do that. You don't know if Shahid's going to be able to live up to the potential that we saw in flashes last season. You don't know if Traquan Smith can actually learn how to catch the football. Right? And look. This kid out of South Carolina, look, he broke Alshon Jeffrey's records and Kenny McKinley's records. So the kid can obviously play. And you're right, he did show potential there with Las Vegas back in 2021, but then was discarded like a piece of trash. And then sent to the Falcons and discarded as trash again. So maybe Edwards can turn into something. But do you sit on your hands at the wide receiver position, the rest of free agency or with the draft? Or... Now that you don't have a position of need to draft for, do you be proactive and go draft you a wide receiver in the first two rounds? And that's where I think they should go. Because you're going to bet the farm that you got enough wide receivers now. I'm looking at it maybe also through the prism of Sean Payton. Maybe I need to look at it differently. Maybe I need to look at it going, okay, they made sure to sign a guy in free agency at running back that can catch the ball, right? So you get two running backs because Kamara will play this season. He'll be suspended, but he'll play. So you get two running backs that can catch the ball. You re-sign Juwan Johnson, got him locked up. You still have Taysom Hill under contract. So you get two guys at the tight end position that you trust to catch the football. Right? And you got Alave, and whatever you get out of Thomas maybe is Lanyap, so to speak. 
So maybe I'm looking at this from the traditional, they don't have three wide receivers on the roster, but maybe it doesn't matter with what they want to do with this offense, which we keep hearing rumblings, they want to tweak it a little bit, right? And go away from what Sean did to more what they believe they can do with this personnel. Maybe you don't need three, four deep at the wide receiver position like we've all been trained for. Maybe they get that production from the two tight ends. Maybe they get that production from the running backs. Maybe I'm looking at it differently. Yeah, well, that's the other thing is that they, they're they already approaching the offseasons differently than they did under Sean in certain areas. And yes. for one of those, I think, that I'm a fan of is they're no longer, which I'm sure they will take some flyers on some guys at wide receiver because, again, you need camp bodies and you're going to need guys sure. there. But Brian Edwards doesn't seem like a Sean Payton signing to me. He, you know, Sean didn't bring in the high upside guys. He brought in guys that you hadn't heard of that he saw something in, right? Keith Kirkwood. And right. uh, there's a lot of names that I could go down, and I don't want to bring up some of the memories from the, some of those guys. But uh, what was the... Callaway. You also had the LSU track star that they brought into camp that they yeah. thought was going to be a wide receiver. Yeah. Um, Kirkwood, yeah. There's, there, no, there. And then there's the guy who... Um, what's his name? He was number 15. He was big, and he didn't catch anything. Anyway... Uh, uh, well, because because Sean was able to find Lance Moore, and, right? He found right. it, and it worked early on in his coaching tenure. Right. And he and he tried to do the same thing at running back, and that worked early on when he found Pierre Thomas, and when he found you but know at the guys. end it didn't. It did, yeah, again they were running through different guys, and and it just you know. But I just like the approach right now, and I think they're 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 not the most deep wide receiver room in the NFL right now, but they're not the worst. Like, and they're better than they were the past couple of years already at that spot. I and agree. So I think it, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out taking a taking a receiver you know at some point in the draft. Um, I don't think you need to spend a first round pick on a receiver, especially considering the top end guys, Jordan Addison's of the world, are going to be gone when they get to you. So what about a second round pick? I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I mean you know, I, but again, I don't think they have to. I'm not going to be crushed if they don't take one in the first couple of rounds. No, and and the, here's the good thing: this is what the Saints have also done, and I know we're up on a break. They've also done a nice job of making sure that they are not going to have to be desperate to draft someone because of a position of need. Right? That's the other thing. that, And that's the other thing that the Edwards signing does for them. Let's say they don't get one of those guys in the first two rounds that they're targeting. Let's say they, 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 they're they targeting a wide receiver. Well, guess what? They already got a guy. And, oh, by the way, they still have the, the corpse of Traquan Smith on the roster. So... They don't technically need one. Maybe it would be nice if they could get one, right? So everything is nice if they could get one. And that's what they've put themselves in position. Well, you know, it'd be great if we could get one of those edge rushers. It'd be nice. We'll see if it happens. It'd be great if we could get one of these good wide receivers. Yeah, we'll see if it happens, right? They've put themselves in that position now where they don't have to be desperate. And that's a good thing. That leads us to our poll question of the day. Should the Saints draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds of the draft? Yes or no? Straightforward type of poll question today. It's no, it's no must, no fuss Tuesday. Right? D-Lo talked to me. He, says, he said RP3. Yeah, you're making these poll questions just too complicated. Well, it's, just, it's just too much, man. Uh, look, I have the pulse of the people. This is what D-Lo was telling me yesterday. Yeah. I have the pulse of the people. Word for word almost. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, and I... 
Look, I did have some. I did have some uh, clever answer idea. You know, I like to throw in a clever answer idea for the third choice, but uh, the character limit would not allow what I wanted to go with. So I decided let's just we'll have a true answer today. We will know whether the people think yes or no. We won't have any of our uh, fun third options, unfortunately, but also fortunately. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can feel free to leave your comments if you'd like. So who that nation or even members, even people that are not not members. Of who that nation feel like free RP3. To, feel free to vote on the poll question of the day should the saints draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds of the nfl draft we gotta take a time out more rp3 and company coming up right here on the game this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros this is rp3 and company Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Should the Saints draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds of the draft? Early results say 91% say no. 9% say yes. Wow. Uh, overwhelmingly, no. I, I I am proud. I am very proud of Houdat Nation this morning so far. Ralph says no. We hit with Alave last year, but history shows a lot of early round receivers are bust. Tight end, DN, and O-line are biggest needs. Linebacker depth as well. Let's just pray that we see CGM this year and it's not more fool's gold. Color me skeptical. Why do people think they need a tight end? I don't know. Um, I, 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 I'm curious. I would have been, yeah. Like You I, have Jawan Johnson and Taysom Hill. Why do you need a tight end? And you, st- I mean, and look, Troutman's not, he's not going to be someone you rely on or count on, but he's also still there. And like, I would have been fine with bringing in Foster Moreau for depth and kind of, you know, another pass catcher, another guy Derek Carr was familiar with. Unfortunately, you know, best wishes to him as he's now trying Battling to Battling cancer? Yes. Yeah. But... I would have been okay with that move, but that was like a, a lanyard move. Again, that wasn't like a, a core move that they were going to make. So, like, I don't – now, the, the, the argument otherwise is there's a, there's a couple of tight ends in this draft class. Michael Mayer is the, the one I'm extremely high on. I got, I got a chance to watch him play a lot in college. He's not going to be at 29. I understand, but I'm, but I'm saying that's the idea is, like, well, if you got a guy like that, that's a – Sometimes when you take a tight end, like Troutman was, for instance, it's a guy who, we'll see, he's a good blocker, he's a good pass catcher, he's not great at anything. He was a very good pass catcher in college and struggled at run blocking. He's learned how to run block but forgot how to pa- yeah, catch well, the ball. You know, how did that happen? I, I don't know. But my point being, Michael Mayer has a chance to be like a difference maker at the tight end position. So if you if you can get a guy like that, then by all means. Hmm. But if you're just taking a tight end to take a tight end, then I'm not a fan of the idea. No, look. I think what the Saints are going to do, they're probably going to trade up and get themselves one of the edge rushers they really want. If I had to guess. They like to trade up. They don't have any needs they have to fill. Maybe another pass rusher. You find Cam Jordan's replacement, trade up to go get him. There you go. Done. And maybe you only have to give up a second rounder next year and keep your second rounder this year to get another linebacker. But once again, Kate Nellis was the third string linebacker. He was the third linebacker on this team. He wasn't a starter. Yeah, well, and... And Kate Nellis was a seventh-round pick. The only idea with that, and, and I do think it becomes a factor, 
you know, let's remember that people making these decisions are humans and not robots. And you remember the, the decisions you've made in the past and how they worked out. And the Saints have had, they might be a little gun shy at the pass rusher position is what, is what I've been thinking about taking a first round guy. Because they're probably at the point, too, where you take another first rounder that doesn't pan out on the defensive line. They're going, this, I mean, geez. Like, Davenport you know, and Turner. Turner. Which, Turner, the jury's still out, obviously. But Who was the guy that was the pass rushing linebacker they took out of Clemson that was a total bust? Oh, Stephon Anthony. Oh. Yeah, that was rough. Um, and, I mean, oh. look, even even Zach Bond, who wasn't a first-round pick, like that doesn't look like a like a pick that's going to end up being worth what, what you spent on it. Maybe. So, yeah, but, maybe but, so. But, 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 but once again, Kay Nellis developed late in his last true. season. That's true. Maybe you get the same thing out of Zach Bond this year. Right? I just so, wonder if there's a if there's a pass rusher there. If they're going to shy about pass rusher. Okay, yeah, that's fair. If they're going to say, I don't know if we want to go down that road again because we know we have to hit on it. But, because but they've I don't, been burned over and over again. And in defense of them, I don't think that's the way you should approach it. I think, look, it's the same thing with quarterback. If you keep striking, you got to keep taking them. Like, you can't just keep – you can't say, oh, well, the, the last quarterback we drafted didn't work out, so we're not going to take one for a while. Well, you still don't have a quarterback, so you got to keep drafting quarterbacks. So I think that's kind of – it's kind of the same logic. Like, yeah, I know the last few didn't work out, but – you know, maybe that means this one's a little more likely to work out, you know. And, and the other thing, of course, is that at that point, maybe you start to think about the development process and, and where you're going with that as far as your coaches and staff. But it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Saints also supposedly are going to make a move um, with a hiring of a former, which I mentioned in the drill, Jari Evans. Looks like he's joining the coaching staff, so that's interesting for the offensive line, presumably. Um, making moves, making moves. Making moves. Ton on Twitter says... No, he just shares the gift of Luke from Star Wars. Steve says they have an opportunity to draft best available player needs at running back DL and DB. But if an outstanding player drops, that is not one of these. They have made it possible to be flexible. I would take a running back in the first or second round. I'm still intrigued by the idea of taking a running back. Jamal Williams takes care of your need. But how much longer is Alvin Kamara going to be in the black and gold? I think that's a legitimate question that needs to start being asked. He was a shell of himself last year. They didn't use him the right way last year. Now he has legal problems that is more than likely going to result in least in a six-game suspension this year. And we know the Saints don't mind parting ways with their star running backs. See Mark Ingram, see Reggie Bush. So... You get Jamal Williams, but they're roughly the same age, right? And the expiration date on running backs is what? About 29. Sometimes earlier if they have a lot of wear and tear. I wouldn't, if I'm a Saints fan, I don't think I would hate them drafting a running back in the second round. I don't I don't think you would hate that. Because then it's like, okay, well now we got three guys. But one of them's going to be suspended. So, I, I don't know. Once again, I think they're going to go D-line, right? But don't be surprised if Mickey Loomis and company draft an O-lineman again. Like, I just, and I know people will groan. I can hear it right now. Is it, is it, is it through? No, it's not through the board. It's not in my, my headphones. But, no, I hear it coming from all of you out there. Another offensive lineman. Ah! Andres Pete, they redid his deal. You can't have enough big fellas, the beefy lads, up front. They believe in pinning. You took them last year. 
Maybe you draft a tackle and you move pinning to guard. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if they love one of these offensive linemen. The Saints are going to get go up and get a guy that they love. And that could be a wide receiver. That could be an offensive lineman. That could be a defensive lineman. That could be a cornerback. Mickey and those guys, this is what they do in the first two rounds. Just a refresher course. Historically speaking, O-line, D-line, DB, wide receiver. Those are the four positions they draft the most year after year in the first two rounds of the draft. Don't overthink it, guys. Don't overthink it about tight end. It's going to be an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, a DB or wide receiver. Those are the four positions they always draft in the first two rounds because those are the four positions they value more than any other on the field. History says so. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's RP3 and company. we got to take a timeout. More. RP3 and Company coming up right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on our guy, James, who wants to tell me I'm wrong about tight end. <laughs> Good morning, brother. What's on your mind? Hey, Mr. RP3. I wasn't going to be that blunt about it. I was going to ease you into it. But since you put it that way, uh, I think they're going to draft uh, Michael Meyer, the guy from Notre Dame. Oh. Because he, he's, a, he's a big tight end, but it's a copycat league. Peyton did his own thing, but we don't have Peyton around anymore. And everybody's seeing those Kelsey guys that can be a deep threat tight end and, and be kind of a tight end slash wide receiver anyway. You know, run, the guy ran a respectable 40, 6'5", 250 pounds. He can separate. He's hard to, hard to get down. And if you look at Derek Carr over his career, like 40% of his passes have been the guys that weren't wide receivers. He loves the tailbacks. He, run, he loves the uh, tight ends. And you touched on it before. I think they're building a team around the personnel they got. So and why aren't you sold on Juwan Johnson, who was top 10 in fantasy tight ends last year? What's that, sir? I said, why aren't you sold on Jawan Johnson, though? Because he had over 500 yards receiving, 42 catches, seven touchdowns. He was a top 10 fantasy tight end last year, and they re-signed him. I am sold on him. But okay. if you got two guys that you can't cover, you can't double anybody up, somebody's getting free. So, so you're thinking both of those guys, and then we got you know Taysom Slash. He's not a tight end. No, he's not. He's not a. So you're you're throwing out the idea that we could see a change in philosophy where maybe they go with what New England did for a while when they had Gronk and Hernandez. That the offense runs through the two tight ends, and it really doesn't matter who you have at wide receiver. You could only maybe have maybe one really competent guy because the offense runs through the tight ends. We're going to play small ball, win with defense, Ooh. not give away games, and win 20 to 14. A lot of 20 to 14 games. I like this idea. James, thank you, bud. Be safe out there on those roads today, buddy. Thank you, sir. Bye.
All right, I'm intrigued by that. Again, Ma- Michael Mayer, that's the name I said as well. Like, that's the guy if you're going to get a tight end. Now, there, there's a couple other guys. Are they going to be able to trade up to get him, though? Well, that just all depends, right? That just depends on how other teams value him, and that's something sometimes you never know until draft day. Um, we've got a, as many mock drafts as, as the general public wants to fill out. None of those matter because we don't work for front offices uh, that I know of. I, time I out, time out. We don't, don't work, work for a front office? I know. It's kind of like I sat there and realized it the other day. I was like, well, what am I doing all this for? But <laughs> Just for the entertainment of the people, I suppose. But, yeah, no, like Mayer, he's a guy who caught 180 balls at Notre Dame for – 2,100 yards and 18 touchdowns. He had over 800 yards and seven and at least seven touchdowns each of his last two seasons. He's a mismatch nightmare. And the other thing, too, let's remember Juwan Johnson was a wide receiver that was converted to tight end. So Michael Mayer gives you more of that traditional tight end look. Now, and I'm not saying Juwan Johnson is going to go back to receiver, but I could see a scenario in which you bring in Mayer and you play Juwan Johnson a little bit more in that flex-type role where he's split out wide a little bit more often in the slot. Um, things like that. So, yeah, I could see it. But again, I'm not. I don't think this is a neat. I would. I would be a little bit concerned if they went and traded up a bunch of draft picks and things like that to go get Mayer. You know, inside the top 15. But if he slips and you think you have a chance to go get him, I won't be upset if they go get him for the right price. I'm looking at some mock drafts here to see where he could possibly be. Now. CBS Sports' latest mock draft, they do the whole first three rounds. They have the Cowboys taking Luke Musgrave as the first tight end off the board at 26. So there you go. And again, there's a few tight ends that people like. My personal favorite is Michael Mayer, and part of that's because I've seen more of him than anyone else. And they have the Cincinnati Bengals taking Michael Mayer at 28, one pick before the Saints. So he could be there. Uh, They also have the Saints taking Keon White, the D-lineman out of Georgia Tech <laughs> so uh, look history suggests it's going to be O-line D-line wide receiver DB maybe Mayer is there but I don't know if everyone's buzzing about him right now that sure does tell me that his draft stock's going to rise and it may be out of the realm for the Saints to draft him hour one done hour two coming up right here on the game oh yeah Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived here on RP3 and Company. Don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day. Should the Saints take a wide receiver in the first two rounds of the draft? Yes or no? Right now, overwhelmingly, you guys are saying no. Look, the Saints like to do something with the draft in the first two rounds. Draft D-line, draft O-line, draft DB, draft wide receiver. This is what they do. They've done it for 20 years. This is what they do. And every once in a while, they'll go out and get themselves a running back. (laughs) Right? This is what they do. That's not to say that Mickey Loomis, Jeff Ireland, and the rest of the front office are going to change that philosophy this year. They could. But 
they like using their most valued picks on the positions they deem the most important on the team that are not quarterback. And that's line of scrimmage, defensive backs, and wide receivers. Telling you, this is what they do. This is what they do. Go vote. Keep those comments coming as well, and we'll share them throughout today's edition of RP3 and Company. Right now, though, it's time for us to talk a little baseball. Did you know that the season is opening up on Thursday? We're two days away from the opening day of Major League Baseball. The Astros will be taking on the Chicago White Sox. Of course, you can listen to that on our sister station Thursday night news talk. But to give us a preview of the season, what are some questions still lingering for the defending champs? Is our buddy from the Locked On Astros podcast, a man who spends his vacation at spring training because he can, Brett Chancey joins us now. Bud, good morning. How are you? Man, I'm doing great. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I know you went to spring training. Yes. But the season still seemed to kind of creep up on me real quick. Like, I just, I, I, I know I was like, yeah, it, it's at the end of the month. It's at the end of the month. It's at the end of the month. But here I am surprised once again that, oh, by the way, opening day is in two days. Exactly. You know, last night, um, Eric and I went to the Space Cowboys and Astros exhibition game at Constellation Field in Sugarland, and they had a record crowd last night. Um, it was it was an exciting time. The Astros ended up winning three to one. I'm gonna tell you, you, you talk about those questions that are you know yet to be answered. Yanner Diaz is is making a case to be the backup. He hit another home run. He, he hit he had a grand slam the day before. He hit a home run last night. It was an absolute laser shot. Um but the buzz is in the air. Everybody in Houston's ready, but you're right. It's I mean it's here. It's you know, folks, this is the season's about to start and we couldn't be more excited here in Houston. What's the one question mark that you still have, if any at all, Brett? about this team as the season begins on Thursday? Well, I think it has to be, because I haven't said for sure, um, is Seth Martinez or Ronel Blanco going to be that guy or Brandon Belak going to be that last relief guy? I think Martinez probably has it, and I think it's Blanco, but Belak's always kind of on the outside looking in. Then you have... um, you know, are you going to open up a spot on the 40-man for Justin Dearden? Or are you going to open up a, a roster, I mean, a 40-man roster spot for Corey Jolts? Because both of those guys in their own right have earned the right to probably be on this team. But who is that? And those questions right there is what is, is concerning. But I think and a question that the Astros are also wondering is, because we're hearing more and more about it, is the organization going to go outside of our team to help fill the void of Jose Altuve's absence, which I didn't think they were considering, but they keep flirting with the idea of going outside the organization. I don't know who that would be or what they would go get, but that's a question that I know is really on their mind because Jose Altuve's absence is one of the things looking at them right in the face right now. And he's going to miss at least at least two months. 
and you're going to miss right. his bat. And obviously, he'll still be around to provide leadership, just like other guys have done when they've injured Michael Brantley or Alex Bregman. Both of those guys, even when they were injured and missing time, they were still around to to pump up their teammates. So I'm not concerned about the leadership. I am concerned about the production and uh, the glove work and the ability to be able to you know hit from that position because now all of a sudden you have a hole in your lineup. Who's even out there for them to possibly kick the tires on at this point two days before the start of the season? You know, the only person I've seen really talked about is um, Kirsten um, Hira, who really, when you look at his defense and his stats, you're going, why would they choose him? But it's only because people are looking past Ryland Ryland Bannon. Um, Look, I... Honestly, I don't even know. I mean, you're not going to go out and get any big names that are trying to sign. There's not really anybody leaving a team or wanting to leave a team. So I'm thinking the answer is in-house. I think the answer is between Hensley and Dubon and letting those guys take that until Altuve gets back. And with the one through six that we have without Altuve, this is still one of the most brutal lineups. Jose Abreu is, is is a huge piece to that. But you're right, defensively, you know, you don't have that for sure double play combo with Altuve and Pena. Um, but I, I really think Hensley Dubon, they, they've got this kid, um, Machado, who is not, he's not on the roster, but, you know, he's a guy that they could, they could bring up and they could keep. And he's their best, Third best defensive option. Um, I think they stay in house. I don't. I don't know who's got value and who they could get this quick in the season. What do we expect to see from Michael Brantley early on, and how limited is Jordan Alvarez going to be? You know, Jordan last night swung the bat really well. He he played and he you know he looked good out there. He. I, I think I think Jordan Alvarez is is going to start now. I don't know whether he starts in the field or not, but he's swinging well. Brantley, it's going to be ten to fifteen days, I think, before he comes back. See, Brantley's concern is not is his shoulder ready. Brantley is well. He's he's healthy ish. But he is behind because he didn't get to go through spring training due to missing several weeks because of some some personal issues. And so Brantley's gonna be about ten, fifteen days. You're gonna see you're gonna see Jake Myers in left field, you're gonna see Dubon playing outfield as well. Um and hey, Yanner Diaz can also play left field. So you're gonna see that happening. But Brantley, I want him here when he's healthy. I want him here when he's ready. He's going to be here for the ring ceremony. He's going to be here for all that, but then he's going back to West Palm for about 10 days, and then he will be with the Astros. So you won't see him at first, but don't worry. He will arrive when he's ready. So no Altuve for the first two months of the season. No Michael Brantley for at least the first two weeks of the season. Right. Uh, What's the latest update on Lance McCullers Jr.? Lance McCullough Jr., it's the same same as it's been. You know, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be out until I think probably I think April. Um but 
you know, Lance McCullers, he's he's a he's the arm that you you want to make sure he's healthy because it it seems like every year something comes up, something pops up, and I I, I think they're being extra cautious with him because of his injury history. So. On the pitching front, there's a lot less concern because we do have more arms and we do have more available there. Um, but some people would look at this and go, oh, my gosh, there's no way they're going to repeat. McCullers is out, Brantley, Altuve, all this stuff. But this team's built to last. This team is built to withstand that. And I think the guys hold the line until McCullers gets back. We're talking with Brett Chancy. He always holds the line for us on Tuesday mornings. He's from the Locked On Astros podcast, joining us here on RP3 and Company. All right. What's the rotation going to be like to start the season? Well, I mean, you know, obviously you got your opening day starter and Framber Valdez. I, I think it I think it shakes out where you have Framber, you have Javier, um, you have um Arquiti. And then I believe you you have I'm sorry you have Garcia Arquiti and then Brown as your fifth and then Renel Blanco pitched three three innings last night you may see Renel Blanco come in from time to time maybe do a piggyback start but okay. it looks like they go with a five man just because of how many days they have off in April um, and until Lance returns I don't know if they go with the true six man rotation so those are the guys that I'm gonna that I'm gonna you know, put my money on Luis Garcia. I think he's going to have a surprisingly really good year. He's looked good all spring. So your top three in this rotation would be Valdez, Javier, and I think Garcia. Jeremy Pena had a phenomenal rookie year. Can he live up to the hype of what he was able to do as a rook and even be better as a second-year player? You know, he, he appears that he's ready. Um, he is he's probably one of the most poised, most refined um, players there on the field. When you just watch him take interviews, when you watch him the way he carries himself, you know, last night even said, I really I feel really comfortable leading off. Like I love leading off. I mean, he wants it. The moment is his. The lights don't have to be super bright, but I think he figured some things out last year. And if he stays away from low-breaking pitches, if he stays disciplined at the plate, I think his glove is going to play out. He's a great defender. Even with the shift gone, he's got great side-to-side movement, and he's got great range. So he is really poised to have a big year. I don't think there will be a sophomore slump. I know the league typically adjusts, but he's a student of the game. And like you said the other day, he is he he is building off what he did last year, so he didn't change anything. He just is going. He improved on it. And last night, he looked like a leadoff hitter. He looks like a leader out there, and I think you've got a kid that has really become a pro's pro going into twenty twenty three. Alex Bregman has dealt with injuries the last couple of years. hasn't been himself. We started to see him kind of return to form late in the season and in the playoffs. Do you expect Breggs to be back to that MVP candidate form he showed a couple years ago? And more importantly, do you believe the Astros need him to play at that level, especially early on with all the injuries? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think with the injuries there, it's it's more important this year for Bregman to get off 
on a hot start, then he probably get off on the best start that he's ever had in his career. And I think he's poised to do that. And he even said, like, the postseason, he felt better than he's ever felt going into this year. He said, I feel great. I'm healthy. I mean, Bregman a couple years ago was being questioned on whether he had lost that fire. You know, we watched him. I watched him play up close when he was at LSU those two years. And I was so impressed with who he was. And then when he kind of had a rough season or two, I was like, well, gosh, you know, has he lost it? And he hasn't lost anything. He, he's just gotten more mature. I just I think that he's a leader on this team. He's one of the stalwart veterans. And watch out. Alex Bregman is going to have a really great year as a third baseman. He's going to put himself back in that one of the top third basemen in the league categories. And I think his bat's going to play really well, not only average, but I think he's going to hit for power too. Brother, before I let you go, when are you guys dropping a, uh, the latest episode of the Locked On Astros podcast and what can people expect, especially with opening day, opening night being just a few days away? So, well, starting opening night, we will be live post-game um, just like we are on any game because we're actually going to be there. But we have an AOS preview that I did with the other teams that is coming out on, um, I guess, Wednesday. So that would be tonight's recording going to be dropping on Wednesday. And y'all have to watch that because the other hosts get a little salty. I throw a little shade at the Mariners guys. But it is definitely a great episode with all five teams host. And we're literally every day this week um, up until Friday going into next Sunday. You can catch us on YouTube. You can check, check, check us out on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast because we are your team every single day. Brett, appreciate your time, brother. Talk to you next Tuesday. Enjoy opening night, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you. Go Strohs. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Please be careful out there. More Thunder Boomers. Of course, I can hear them inside the building. <laughs> Which means we still have that lovely storm system that's coming through. So make sure you're careful out there today on your morning commute to work or school. Opening day. It's only two days away. Are you prepared for that? Like, have you mentally... Because obviously, you, you know what happened. You, you you know why I'm not prepared for this. Uh, look, the NCAA tournament always happens. The World Baseball Classic threw me off. Yeah, well, but in a way, that kind of got me a little bit prepared because it was like I saw high-level baseball. That's the other thing. You, you saw high-level baseball, but then it threw you off because you're like, you just got done watching it, and then it's like, oh, opening day's here. Yeah. 
Yeah. It distracted you from opening day. Right. Approaching. That's what happened with me. So, yeah, it's going to be here. I Are mean, you prepared? Are you ready? No, I mean, really not. Like I said, I well, and you got foot having breakdowns on air about if the, you know, the heat, what the TV schedule is going to look like, but I haven't Why gotten... does it matter if it's a hammock season? Well, you know, <laughs> I don't know I'm you see how it works. Um, we, oh, yeah. it's a hammock season, Cat. I'm not going to be stressed at all. Yet you're stressed about the TV schedule. So, yeah. Eh, yeah. Okay. Um, no, not, not, not really ready for it. Um, Shoot, got got to figure my fantasy baseball team out like tonight. I think, but that, that yeah, is, bud, that yeah. probably is tonight. Yeah, I think that is. You may, you may want to figure that out. No, they'll text me. Look, it's okay. Are, are you are you in a league yeah, with friends? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. you guys haven't even set up your draft yet. It's tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, but it's keepers, so like some of it's already set. Uh, and stuff, I got you. I got so you. I got you. I'm right. actually inheriting a team, oh, so I've been trying to figure that out. It's been a whole thing, but it's a whole thing for you. Yeah, it's you a know. whole thing. Um, Foots, I mean Foots team. He's he's fired up about his team, so that's good for him. And maybe if the Astros struggle, he'll have that to fall back on. Probably not though. <laughs> I will go out on limb and say that he may find a way to complain about that. Might he might, <laughs> and somehow incorporate bad officiating into his fantasy baseball team, and somehow make the fantasy baseball team and how they're struggling somehow tie that to. The Saints 2004 season somehow. It's it's the mind. Kevin is like watching sometimes how he gets things is like watching a beautiful mind. Yeah. That was that one time in 04 when they were cheated because a paper towel blew on the field and the officials didn't stop the game and the receiver slipped. And that's why they lost the game and didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. One of those things. And the Seattle Mariners love using paper towels, that same brand. So I can't trust them. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It'll be some sort of... And then MLB signed a partnership deal with that brand because that shows you that it was all set up. Kevin's mind is like... You ever see like television and movies? Usually it's in like suspenseful movies, right? Or, you know, crime shows where they walk into it and there's a, a picture in the middle and there's all these pins with pieces of yarn connected to the entire map and other photos of the conspiracy and how things are connected. That's Kevin's mind. Yeah. And all the time. And Will Lutz and Tony Jones just sit there weaving it every which way. Casper the quitter. It's just, yeah, it's it's sometimes it's just a, a thing of beauty to sometimes watch him work, watch him work the board, as I like to call it. You'll just shake your head, and I'll be hearing him. And I just sometimes walk into the producer studio, and I just look, and I go, "Look at that, just beautiful creature, just working it, just exploring the space of his brain." Just like, oh, man, not everyone can be Kevin. Not everyone can be Kevin. And I actually uh, recommend not. Yeah, not everyone should be Kevin, right? No, 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 you should not try to be like Kevin. There's only one Kevin, and rightfully so. There's only one footsie, and rightfully so. Poll question of the day. We ask you, should the Saints draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds of the draft? 65% of you say no. 35% say yes. John Paul, the Cajun daddy, says simply no. They're now good at wide out. And with Johnson and Hill, two of the fastest tight ends in the NFL also. You realize Taysom Hill had nine catches last year? 
Nine. You make the big move to move him to tight end, and you utilized well, him he, with he, again, nine Again, though, he's not a tight end. He's a flex. Like, there's no name for the position that he is. So They, they did, did not use him well last year. No. Except for the exception no, of one there week. Was, there were times where they used him well, but they didn't use him enough is what I would say. Um, when he play, Now, I do think, A, I would have liked to see him throw the ball more, especially when Andy Dalton had no desire to throw oh, it well or accurately. The red rifle. Are you, often, are but, you mentally preparing yourself to – have the Red Rifle beat you this coming season? I'm not worried about that. As a member that of the Carolina keep, Panthers? That doesn't keep me up at night. It might happen, but that doesn't keep me up at night. No. You know what's going to happen? I'm going I'm to lay out this scenario for you because I know you're a Saint fan. <laughs> Andy Dalton was the, the epitome of middle-tier quarterback, right? The epitome of it. And he didn't make big throws down the field. And he didn't step up like he should, right? You know what's going to happen in the 2023 season upcoming in this fall is that the Red Rifle, or is the man that, that Kevin Foote calls Crawfish, he's going to play terribly for the Panthers except for one game. And that game will be against the Saints. And he's going to throw for like 340 yards and three touchdowns. I'm not worried about it because because – that's not who Andy Dalton is. Fortunately, he's not that guy. He is consistent. That's all. That's what you have to give him credit for. Two hundred fifty-five yards and one touchdown and one pick. That's what he's going to do against the Saints. And it that's, might that's, now look. It might be Andy. enough to beat him on that day. But I no. I don't no, think Andy no. Dalton's going to turn into a hero in, in one game. I don't. No. I don't think he's got that. I, th- I think the Panthers overly paid for his services. I looked at that contract and went, really, really? Did you watch Andy play football last year? JPK, the OD, says, no, sign a vet that's still available in a team-friendly deal like Kenny Galladay or Robbie Anderson or T.Y. Hilton. Draft the big tight end out of Notre Dame and a defensive tackle. And whatever you do, don't give in and watch draft day this year. Hashtag draft day sucks. JPK, the OD, you and I are going to fight. It's not a a good movie. It's not a good movie, but neither is any given Sunday. And yet they're both extremely rewatchable. I don't think it's rewatchable. There's so much about it that doesn't make sense. It's a movie. It's not supposed to be. It's not a documentary. Yeah, but but it was the way it was advertised was like get a look into how GMs treat draft, and it's the worst, un, most unrealistic movie in the history of cinema. Okay, and it was ad, if they advertise it as here's a silly movie about the about you know football, they lie to you for every every movie that's released. They lie to you, Dawson. Like here's the thing: the game plan. You know the game plan. You know the movie with you know uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You don't know the game plan? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, okay. way, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing where you're going right. with this. That movie was advertised as here's a silly movie about you know football and and growing up and a, a father and his daughter that he didn't know he yeah, had. Yeah, that's a Disney movie. It's okay, supposed to be a family movie. Okay, draft day was advertised as like here's a realistic look at the way front offices deal with the draft and get a get a look at the inside of how things go. And then it was a freaking most unrealistic thing I've ever seen in my life. So. You're telling me that you don't trade away your picks and then we're able to trade them right back and get even yeah, more? Yeah, no, and I, I do. I base all my all my decisions are how many people went to the birthday party of the player I want to draft. That's how I make my decisions. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but I love watching it. It's ridiculous, but it is so, it's so ridiculous, but I love watching it. Just like I love watching any given Sunday. That's ridiculous, too. It's not realistic. Sometimes you don't need movies to be like some type of obscure German documentary about World War One. I'm f- I'm fully I am on board with you because a lot of times people like some of these you know 
rom-coms and you know just silly goofy movies that people are like the critics hammer it they're like this is terrible and i'm like it's just a movie just enjoy it for what it's worth but again like a transformers movie the reason i had a problem with draft day is because what i was told it was going to be and what i expect i thought like wow i'm gonna get this cool kind of inside look i know it's it's gonna be dramatized a little bit but it's gonna be like this look at how front offices do things and it wasn't it was just not so anyway that's that's the end of my rant Oh, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's it's it, for me it's a so good it's bad movie. You know, it's so good because it's so bad. And it just embraces the fact no one believes Dennis Leary's a coach. Like stop. <laughs> like just stop. Stop. And then when they when the guy calls him and and the other, you know, the defensive end and then and oh man, there's just so many it's so it's so it's so ridiculous. Oh, man, we got to take a timeout. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. When we come back, we'll talk a little LSU women's basketball as they gear up for the Final Four. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Who knows you better than your family in life? Who knows you better in athletics than your players? They see you at your best every day. They see you at your worst. They see you at your weakest and vice versa. And I think they can answer it better than me. I think it is a perception out there about me that everybody has that's so not real, but I'm okay with that. Because these kids that play for me, the coaches that coach for me, my family that knows me, you can't control what people want to perceive about you. What I love about coaching is I want that kid to think she can't go any further, but man, when she does, she looks at me and goes, God, thank you for pushing me. I want to look at that kid that everybody says will be an academic casualty or somebody that's really going to struggle academically, and I can watch that kid get a de- degree and a diploma. Every kid I've ever f- coached that finished playing for me has a degree. Do you think they're all 4.0 students? That's what I will remember when I sit in the rocking chair someday, is that I took teams, players that maybe others didn't want to coach, couldn't coach, and we competed, and we won, and um, but they have to buy in. They LSU women's basketball coach Kim Mulkey talking about the relationship with her players. Kind of a lengthy answer there, but a good one. You know her perception of that she's hard nosed and tough, and and she is. She's a hard-nosed, tough coach. She's an old-school coach as they come. Make no bones about that. And, 
you know, there's a reason why people gravitate towards her. There's a reason why women gravitate towards her. There's a reason why my wife, Tina, knows who she is. And I'm sure I can't wait for the day where I get to possibly introduce my daughter, who's only eight, to Kim Mulkey. Because my daughter's probably going to love Kim Mulkey. I mean, my daughter was uh, giving me the business and bossing me around this past weekend because I'm training for the 5K weight loss plan is in full effect. I'm losing weight. And she goes out there and she motivates me. And she goes, I'm going to start calling you soldier. I'm like, what? I'm going to start calling you soldier. I go, why are you calling daddy soldier? Just seems to fit. Come on, soldier. Let's go. <laughs> Keep it up. All right. So, <laughs> which is just funny having an eight-year-old scream at you. Come on, soldier. Let's go, soldier, in the neighborhood. I'm sure some people looked out their windows in our neighborhood over the weekend. <laughs> just saying. Just saying that. That was probably, yeah, probably a probably possibility. So. It's probably a possibility. My daughter has fully embraced the uh, coaching aspect of the training for the uh, festival 5k that we're taking part in together which is going to be cool very like cool. it's like sj in the blind side michael Orr, you know the scene i'm talking about yes that's what i thought of there uh but there's something kind of refreshing to me about veteran coaches who have been there because you don't hear a lot of stuff like this from younger coaches and it's not necessarily that they're not being genuine but again they're a lot of times they're tunnel vision focused um, but we've seen this with Nick Saban over the years sometimes, and it's not necessarily within games or within you know game week press conferences, but a chance like this where you're reflecting and, and kind of giving perspective. And I think we hear that from some of the greats later on in their coaching careers as opposed to earlier. Um, and I think that's what you're hearing here. You're hearing a coach that's that's got perspective and, and, and has been through this enough times to know what these moments mean and is appreciating it for what it's worth and and giving you in you know a little bit of insight. They're not as worried, you know, I think sometimes coaches early on are so worried about saying things and you know giving away trade secrets or this or that. Um, but when you have a coach who's as confident and has been there done that like Kim Mulkey has, um, sometimes you get these interviews that are that provide you some substance, right? It's not just a coach answering a question. They're giving some real thought to their answer. And and the the two things being in both occasions, right? Kim Mulkey and Nick Saban have won multiple national champions. They've been at the top of their game. They're gonna. Uh, Kim's already a Hall of Famer. Nick will be a Hall of Famer, and they're both towards the back end of their careers. Kim's sixty years old. Nick is seventy-one. So they can put things in perspective more than maybe a younger coach can, because a younger coach doesn't have the opportunity to be able to look back like a, a veteran coach. And Kim has also masterfully adjusted and we talked about this yesterday with Jeff Palermo is there anyone better in college basketball specifically on the women's side that has mastered the transfer portal Kim Mulkey's won multiple national championships as a player assistant coach and as a head coach and she did it her way and she did it the traditional way she had to all of a sudden adapt to the world of NIL and the world of the NCAA transfer portal and she did so masterfully. So think about that. You know, I, I, I kind of link it towards what Saban did at Alabama when he figured out, okay, I got to finally embrace modern offense and the spread techniques because they're killing me and they're killing my defense. So I need to embrace and bring in other people to help me adapt to modern offense. And that helped continue Bama's 
run as one of the best programs in college football. It's all about adapting. It's all about adapting. And Kim Mulkey has adapted to the modern era of, okay, now I got to re-recruit my own girls and I got I got to go out and get others. I got to go hit the transfer portal. How many players on the roster right now that are starters that are key contributors for this year's Final Four team are transfer portal? What about half? Think about that. So, a veteran coach, Hall of Fame coach that says, "You know what? I got to adapt." How important is that? I think it's greatly important. When you see the great ones adapt, Coach K made the uh, uh, Coach K adapted later in his career where he was not about the one and dones, right? He was resistant to that. And then he said, you know what? I have to adapt to this new era of college basketball. He did that adjustment, ended up continuing his Hall of Fame career and helped bring him another national championship. You have to adapt with the times. And we've seen, to those coaches' credit and their successes, We've seen a couple other situations where great coaches maybe haven't adapted as well. Jim Beheim at Syracuse comes to mind, right? I mean, he did it, not adapt. He hasn't. He didn't adapt all that well, and and maybe he ended up, you know, taking a couple of years off the end of what could have been a, a little bit longer run at Syracuse. Um, you know, and that's you know, look, Coach Calipari, you could argue, hasn't after the one and done kind of came in. He was the master of the one and done, and then the one and done's kind of it, it hasn't phased out completely, but it's certainly become less prevalent than it was a few years ago. And now Kentucky, not to say they haven't been competitive every year, but they haven't had the level of success they had. They have not era. been to their standard. Right, and, so that's and, that's the interesting thing about and it. And he's, he's, he's about to uh, uh, come to a crossroads of figuring out, okay, how do I take my skill set and adjust now to this era of the transfer portal? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to do one and done because you're recruiting kids to come to your school and then they're going to leave after one year to go to the NBA. And you can still do that to a certain degree. But now we have the transfer portal, which has been a great equalizer. Look at Miami and how they've, once again, uh, once again, on the men's side, the Miami Hurricanes make their first Final Four with a older coach who's in his late 60s, early 70s, who's figured out how to adjust to the transfer portal in NIL. And, and not only the portal in NIL changing the one-and-dones, but also the new G League rules and players being able to Correct. go to the G League. That has also changed it. So it hasn't been a situation where Calipari has said, hey, I can take – five of the best 25 prospects in all of America and they're going to play for me for a year and move on and I'll do the same thing next year. Now it's become, well, these five guys are, aren't even available because they're just going to play in the G League and these five guys are maybe interested in playing for more than a year and these five guys. So it's changed everything and yeah, it, it's been really interesting to see different approaches and some schools have fully embraced it. You know, We'll have plenty of time to talk about college football, but Mike Norvell has completely embraced the transfer portal and, and done it on the football side. And some coaches... Coach Decimo at UL has said we're still de- our goal is de- to develop high school players, and it's not necessarily that one way is going to fully win out over the others, but the ability to to kind of not be set in your ways, I think, is critical at this point in college sports because it changes every every year, really. For Mulkey, you know, she talked about hey, everyone's talking about us going to the Final Four, just getting to the Sweet Sixteen is an accomplishment. That's some veteran coaching savvy there, what she was able to display, but. You know, she also talked about getting to the Final Four. She talked about how difficult it was, how hard it is, and that, you know what? They're focused on winning two more games, but they're going to enjoy this moment at least for a couple of days. South Carolina, I've said it from day one, is an unbelievable team and should win it all. But I'd sure love to be in that championship with them. Then y'all could ride 100%, right? Two SEC teams, right? But we're going to enjoy this. So... 
it, it, that's what you play for, to get to Final Fours, to win championships. Do you know how many coaches – do a little research. How many coaches coached 25, 30, even 40 years and never, ever made a Final Four and never won a championship? It's so hard to do. She's not wrong. And the LSU women will be taking on Virginia Tech in the Final Four on Friday. The other Final Four matchup is going to be Iowa versus South Carolina. Woo! Going to have two really good matchups in Dallas. And guess what? Your boy RP3 is going to be there in Big D. We will be broadcasting RP3 and company live from downtown Dallas, just a stone's throw away from the United Airlines Arena where they're going to be hosting the Final Four. Of course, RP3's road trip to Dallas is going to be presented by Bailey's Cigar Room, 6-9 to Friday, live from Big D for the Women's Final Four for LSU taking on Virginia Tech in their first Final Four in 15 years. And we'll also carry that game for you Friday night right here on the game. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number two on this Stormy Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. That's next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our guy, D'Lo, prides himself on being healthy. He's physically fit. He works out. He doesn't eat a bunch of junk. Like, he's not getting, you know, the extra large value meal with a side of grease. My man, you know, kale smoothies, you know, lots of yogurt, works out. He, he's a healthy guy. That's well established. My daughter this morning has decided to challenge D-Lo for healthiness. She woke up, her breakfast was whole wheat toast with some hummus on it and a little bit of almond milk. She's challenging you to see who's the most healthy person in RP3's life. Do you accept this challenge, yeah, that, No, that and, and you over-exaggerate my healthiness all the time. I do participate <laughs> um, in a Taco Bell meal from now and again, but I have never heard of an eight-year-old that eats that type of breakfast, but that's impressive. I mean, hummus, wow, because like that's a that's a food I wasn't ready to tackle at eight. I, I didn't I didn't try hummus until later on. Now I'm a huge fan of hummus. Now the roasted red pepper hummus oh, you get it mixed in is so fantastic. Good. But that's impressive, no doubt. My I also didn't want I, anything to do with whole wheat toast when I was eight too. But. Well, we only keep whole wheat in, good, in the in, in the house. We try to expose our daughter to as many foods as possible, right? So. Look, her jam, if, if, if we let her, you know, for a while would have been hot dogs and mac and cheese because she's a kid. But we do try to expose her and make her eat vegetables and other things like that. So, you know, she loves Chinese food. I remember as a kid, I did not. My parents loved it, and I would go next door. I'd have to, when we'd go out to eat, 
the rare times we did, they want to go to eat Chinese food and eat the Chinese buffet. And I'd be like, no, I don't want that. So I'd go next door to the Popeyes. So, so you know, but I, I developed and I love Chinese food now, but she loves Chinese food and all types of different things. And people go, does she really eat that? I go, yep, she does. But she's embraced the, uh, the training. So, yes, uh, you, you know, people go, hey, who are you training with to get prepared for the 5K RP3? I go, my daughter. They go, oh, that's sweet. I go, no, no. You haven't seen my determined daughter when she's yelling at me. Come on, RP3. Let's go, soldier. I got this, dad. We're going to do this 5K. I'm like, all right, baby girl. We're going to do it. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, how we're going to kick it off. How about with Jim Gazzolo, our friend from Lake Charles, talking all things McNeese. That's next here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. which means the final hour of this edition of RP3 and Company has arrived. Please make sure you're careful out there on the roadways this morning as you're trying to get to work in school. Severe thunderstorms, of course, have blanketed southwest Louisiana, so make sure you're careful. Avoid the low-lying areas, avoid any high water, and let's just not get crazy out on the roads, okay? Let's not drive like a maniac today. Just, just, let's just try that. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Do you believe the Saints should draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds? This is a question that was asked to me. I pondered it and said, hey, let's make that the poll question. So go vote. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout the remainder of today's show. Right now, though, it's time for us to talk all things McNeese Cowboys with the man who covers the Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of Poke Nation and the host of the McNeese Coaches Show. Our good friend, the great one himself, Jim Gazzolo, joins us. Jim, good morning, bud. Hope you're staying safe and dry out there today. How are you? I'm inside, Raymond. Of course I'm dry. Well, to be fair, for you? To, to be fair, last couple of years in Lake Charles, being inside <laughs> didn't necessarily mean you were dry. Good point. A very so I'm always concerned point. for you. I'm good, though. It is uh, not raining currently. It is overcast. It looks like it's about to, but uh, we are dry for the moment, although we had rain earlier. Let's do- I give you weather. I give you everything. You give us everything. There's nothing that Jim does not give. He's a giver. So, the <laughs> McNeese Cowboys last week, speaking of giving, they gave up a lot of runs in their four games. Nine yes, in did. the loss to Houston. And then they gave up eight in the 12-inning loss to Nichols on Saturday and then eight more in the loss to Sunday. They lost three of four last week, including two of three to Nichols to open up Southland Conference play. What happened to the Cowboys last week? They gave games away. They literally gave Saturday's game away, and I think it was they had a hangover from it on Sunday. Um, 
they, they had the winning run on base in the ninth, in the tenth, and the eleventh. Uh, they slipped coming around third. Otherwise, they would have won it in ten. Uh, in a strange play. And uh, in the eleventh, they had second and third and nobody out. And Nichols went all the way to get five infielders at one point and got out of it. Um, lack of timely hitting, lack of key pitching. 11 walks on Saturday was really the killer, though. Oh, that is brutal. So they begin conference play dropping the series and doing so at home, and the lengthy homestand now comes to an end. They've been at home for essentially a month. Now they get to go on the road after they play Southern tonight, weather permitting, obviously. And then they go on the road for a three-game set at Houston Christian. Uh, how important is it for Justin Hill's team to go out there, get a win tonight, and then take the series and possibly even sweep Houston Christian? Well, I think I think that the weekend is what matters. The thing is they have to figure out somebody that can get the ball and do something after Grant Rogers, Because Rogers gives you a chance to win every series because he's the best pitcher in the league. He's 6-0. and Um <clears throat> Derek Cherry's been solid after him on Saturdays. He was not good on last Saturday. And when that happened, the bullpen really collapsed, although Christian Vega threw very well late. Um, it just, you got to get starting pitching. It doesn't walk people, and they gave up too many runs. This is a great time to play Houston Christian because they're really struggling. Uh, the conference isn't going to get away from anybody. Everybody's 2-1 and one or 1-2. One and two. But it, it, that's a tough loss because game two was won. And um, you're not going to get that game back. And in a 24-game league, not closing out games that you have won, especially at home, can come back and haunt you. You know, the lack of timely hitting, we've talked about that a little bit throughout the season where they have guys that are great hitters, but sometimes in moments they just don't get the hit that's needed to drive in the yeah. runs. What do you think is going to be easier for Justin Hill and his staff to fix with this veteran team? Is it finding someone else besides Rodgers to handle pitching duties, or is it consistent, timely hitting? I think it's easier to find the hitting because the the hitting is contagious. Josh Leslie has 35 RBIs to lead the league. They've got to extend their – they've got to find somebody at the bottom of the order that's a little more consistent that kind of flips the order around so that you have more opportunities with your better hitters up. But getting especially the – they have a couple of guys, Marl's one of them, that may get opportunities on the weekend now. Um, I'm not going to give up on Derek Terry. He's 3-1. But they they seem to have a problem with the bridge bullpen. I think they're they're okay at the back end with Ty Abraham. um, But getting to the back end – has become problematic for them the last week and a half. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo, who's never problematic when he joins us here on RP3 and Company to talk all things. Oh, very nice segue. Thank you. Thank you. I want to talk about professional. (laughs) I want to talk about the softball team because they had their star, one of their star players leave the program and a bunch of, you know, scuttlebutt about that. And they dropped a couple of games to Ole Miss. And then they had some games against good top 25 ranked competition like UL and like Texas and they dropped those games but 
They have seemingly turned a corner here, taking two or three from ULM, beating Houston, and starting 6-0 and in Southland Conference play and hanging tough against LSU in a loss. What's been going right for the Cowgirls? Pitching. Uh, they're pitching this weekend, didn't give up a run. Um, Commerce is not very good, though. Commerce's coach left, took all the players in the portal thing this year, so they're rebuilding. But they won six and they went six and zero in games they should have won, and that's key when you're winning when you're trying to win a league. Now they have a little buffer. They have a two game lead in the conference already, so they have a buffer for a bad weekend. That that's big. Um, but really, it's been pitching, hitting. There's a there's a lot of talk about the Jill Poulard stuff, but talking to players, they are a more close team now. Um, they believe a lot. I would say that they believe in the addition from subtraction, that they're more cohesive, um, that it's a better locker room now. I'll just leave it at that. And look, anytime you, you lose a component to a team like that, whether it's to the player leaving the team or being kicked off the team or an injury, it, sometimes it takes a, a, a little while to kind of reset. Right. And yeah. I think that's what happened with McNeese. And now it seems like they're starting to hit their stride yet again. Uh, they have four games this week, all on the road at Sam Houston, former Southland Conference member, of course. And then a three game set this weekend at Lamar. What do we expect to see from Coach Landerno's team this week? I, I think you'll see more of the same pitching, 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 led by Whitney Tate is 10 and 2. Um, they have. James Landernau yesterday said that he, this is the deepest staff he's ever had. He may not have the number one like he's had in the past, but this is a deeper staff. Uh, that bodes well because that's always been a problem for McNeese is getting, when you get into regionals, having that second pitcher that can keep you in the games. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Lamar's a good series. They're 3-3. Three and three. If they can take two out of three from Lamar on the road, they kind of set themselves up because you're – now almost you're nine games into a 24-game season. Um, you'll have at least a two-game lead. That That's pretty good. And I think that, that you're going to start seeing that as they've now established some roles, um, especially if they get Gomez uh, healthy. She's been a little banged up. She didn't play. She was in concussion protocol. She didn't play on, on Saturday. Getting her healthy, I think she's expected to play tomorrow, but they're going to check her out as the catcher kind of stabilizes everything, I think they'll be fine because they have the depth in pitching. They can go in different directions. They can go four deep. Let's switch over to the hardwood. What's the latest updates on the McNeese men's basketball program, kids that are leaving the program, going into the transfer portal, and ones that Will Wade has been able to bring in? Well, he's brought in four, or he's got four commits. Uh, We've been told, and we're still waiting, that the bigs are coming. <laughs> we haven't seen them yet. Um, but the, the big kid is the kid from uh, Texas, San Antonio, a 6'5 guard who was the uh, on the freshman, all-freshman team, averaged 10 points a game. He seems to be the kind of, he seems to be the kind of linchpin of this group so far. But I want to see, before I can really make a comment, I want to see what bigs are coming in. Uh, Kristen Schumacher is left. And uh, yesterday, Jonathan Massey, not surprisingly, uh, went into the transfer portal, 6'5 guard, sophomore. The, those are the two best players uh, from McNeese last year. They're gone. 
Uh, I assume the rest will follow as this will be a completely rebuilt um, roster with the exception of, I think, the freshman may stay, uh, Thomas and um, Darren O'Day. I think they may stay. Um, but really, that's what, that's what we expected, too. It's going to be who he brings in and how quick he can, uh, Will Wade can flip this thing. Do you anticipate any players on the roster from this last season under John Aiken remaining on this team for 2023-2024 season? Yeah, I do. I, the two freshmen, and I, I think Roberts Berze, who's kind of a spot-up shooter, uh, has a chance. A, a couple of others may stay, um, if, if uh, depending on their conversations. Maybe Malachi Rhodes, if he's healthy, um, will stay. He's 6'9". He brings some things. But I think for the most part, you're going to see seven or eight, new, eight or nine new bodies. Yeah. And I think that's anticipated. I just think that's the way it is now. Um, Shoemate leaving kind of hurts because he did so much for them. Um, Massey's a good player and, and did a lot of things for McNeese. But uh, that, this is the game we, this is the world we live in, Raymond. It's just uh, the way it is. I, I want to see who he brings in for Biggs because that's kind of the next step, I would imagine. I think he's gotten his guards. Yeah, I think he's got in his guards, and he does like having the bigs. I remember how well he did with someone like Nas Reed. He was able to get him in and, and look what he's doing at the next level in the association. So I'd expect Will to be able to bring in at least one, if not two, uh, post players uh, for yeah. this team. All right, one more. And, he has, before- and he, has specific, he has specific roles for those players. So he wants a specific type. He wants a guy that can pass, that can shoot, that can do a lot of things. Yeah, he wants his big men to be versatile. Yeah. One more before we have to let you go. Spring football is in effect. It is going on. It's the second spring season for head coach Gary Goff at the helm of the McNeese football program. Uh, what stood out to you so far in the limited access that you've been able to have to practices and scrimmages? Uh, defense is very fast. The defensive backs that suffered last year, all new from this, uh, most of them are from Mississippi. Uh, their junior college transfers, they look very good. Um, they're ahead of the game. The linebackers look good. The defensive line is good. They moved Trey Winters, a 6'7", 360-pound uh, guard to um, nose guard <laughs> and told him clog, and that's all he's done, and he loves it. So I think th- those things are, and of course the quarterbacks are, are light years ahead of what we had last year. Differences, though, uh, D'Angelo Durham did play the other day. I had five carries for 31 yards. Look good. Says he feels fresh. Um, says he feels healthy. That will be big. I think they have a stable of running backs. Quarterbacks look good. There's only one problem. I'm still waiting to see somebody be the alpha male that catches the football down the field. Jalen Johnson's looking good, but we've yet to see that guy take a step and be the dominant receiver, and they need somebody that catches the football. They dropped too many footballs during uh, – the scrimmages you know who never drops the ball when they come on this show you my friend oh that was see that's what that's why you're so good look at that segue <laughs> look at that i can't nobody can do that like you. oh was, trust me so many people can do it i think my producer could probably do it better than i can i can't wait to be wally pipped uh who you got wally coming on the McNeese? very good yes who you got coming on the McNeese coaches show this week brother uh, Todd Butler, associate athletic director, is going to talk baseball. Former McNeese baseball coach, 
He's going to give us the stories on all the times he got fired. (laughs) (laughs) Along with talking about what the Platinum Club has gotten. Interesting thing about Will Wade, uh, somebody paid $60,000 the other day to have dinner with him at the uh, Gatsby auction. He has also, they have also sold 26 of the 30 floor chairs at $2,000 a pop. And the Platinum Club has just four remaining spots. So the investment's worked out so far. Uh, I would I would say that. I would say that in a big way. You weren't the guy that bought it. You didn't buy the dinner, did you? No, no, bud. No, bud. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be none of that. Jim, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy the rest of your day, bud. All right. Thank you, Raven. Stay dry. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and company right here on a stormy Tuesday edition of our show. Make sure... You're safe out there today during your morning commute to work and school as the roads are going to be extremely slippery and storm system is still coming through the area. So just make sure you are careful out there today, please. Let's check in on the poll question of the day. We asked you, should the New Orleans Saints draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds of the NFL draft? Someone asked this of me yesterday. I don't think it's going to happen. But... If you look at what Mickey Loomis does, they like drafting four positions more than anything else in the first two rounds. O-line, D-line, DB, wide receiver. And then the fifth would probably be running back. That's what they like to do. The Saints' priorities, the positions they value more than anything else. That's why I've never agreed with Many of you calling up saying they need to draft a quarterback in the first two rounds. That's not their M.O. It's not what they do. It's not part of their DNA. They draft line of scrimmage, DB, and wide receiver. Those are the positions they view as the most important to having sustained success year in, year out. It's why you groan when they take Cesar Ruiz in the first round. It's why you groan when they took Peyton Turner in the first round. Now, Ruiz actually turned a corner last year. Doug Marone and Jari Evans did wonders for him, and he became a, let's be honest, a pretty good starting right guard in this league. Still waiting to see if Peyton Turner can ever get onto the field. But even though they're not sexy picks, This is what they do. Look what they did last year. They traded up and got themselves a wide receiver and an offensive tackle. Year before, D-tackle. This is what they do with their early round picks. Now, they explore other positions past the first two rounds. Linebacker, running back, 
still wide receiver even then, right? They'll look at other positions then. But for the first two rounds, what they like to do, what they historically have done, is line of scrimmage, DB wide receiver. They know they they understand that you can't win ball games if your line of scrimmage isn't right. Offensive line, defensive line, gotta be good. If it's not good, you're not gonna win. Very simple. It's very simple. This isn't Madden, where you can just roll around and find someone open. It's not. It's not a video game. It's the NFL. You have to have competent good offensive line play, competent, good defensive line play if you want to be a contender. And then this is also now a passing league, which means you need to have versatile, because the Saints love versatile as well, by the way, versatile defensive backs and good wide receivers. Those are the four areas that have always been a priority for the Saints. I don't see that changing this year. 66% of you say no, you don't see them drafting a wide receiver in the first two rounds. 34% say yes. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Paul, who's been patiently waiting. Paul, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Oh, what's going on, my Yankee brother? You know, tomorrow is the Yankee season start. <laughs> so that's a glorious thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Our year, our year, our year. Yeah. It's going to be yeah, a year as soon as you fire your uh, your manager, but we'll, we'll, we'll we won't have that discussion today. <laughs> you say that every time, but not this year. Is a hey, that y'all talk about the pipe or the pipe is not going to let the Astros embrace when they had their turn. It's our turn. We next in line. But um, I call about this Saints um, poll question. I'm not going to be mad if they do, especially if they get one of talent, a playmaker. But I don't think that's what we need right now. We just signed um, Edwards, former receiver from the Raiders. For some reason, we love the Raider players, Lord Jesus. But I think we shouldn't have got Jamal Williams. I remember I looked his um, stats up because he used to be with Green Bay. You know, that one good season last year, people don't realize Detroit have a great offensive line which meaning we need to beef up our offense, our offensive line, definitely. We should have went and get, I keep saying it, since he was with the Chiefs, Kareem Hutt. That's who we should have went and get, the man of the free agent. He is better than Jamal Williams. Every year, stats prove it. This man was a beast. He, you look what he did coming off the bench. Yeah, but it's Kareem Hunt. Season going to sign a team-friendly deal like Jamal did. I mean, they got Jamal for only $12 million, man. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But, I mean, if you want to win, you got to pay. You got to pay the pipe, whatever you got to pay. I get it. But if you want to win, I mean, I just look at with Kareem Hutt and Camaro back there when he do come back and when he's not there, that th- those two, that that's, that's going to be dynamic. Why not draft a guy, it? Paul? Let me throw this out. Why not take a guy in the draft? To be your third nah, running back? I'm not, no, I'm like, but I ain't got time for people to develop in people <laughs> at certain positions. At certain positions, nah, I don't have time for that. Don't have time for it. My man says, I don't got time no. for that nonsense. I don't have time for developing certain people at certain but I'm trying to win. But um, we do need to be for our offensive line. We need a tight end. Um, Johnson is good, but lately he just, we just noticed he stayed hurt. So you need you need that other guy. Um, unless you just drafted a guy. I'm not drafted. You signed a guy like end up. Schultz, that was for Dallas. He was a good tight end. You know, you can get your decent tight end um, for a good price. Or yeah, you don't have to draft one. Um, 
Who but did, we do need Paul, to think about me, these, uh, We need a pass rusher. An elite. There it is. There um, it is. I was going to ask Russia you. Pass rusher. I've been saying it for over 10 years. Not a Davenport, not a, um, a Cam Jordan that we call pass rusher. I'm talking about a Michael Paul, an Edge, an Alden Smith. We need that. And I can guarantee you get that. Our team would change. You've seen what that one guy did for Dallas. And you're, when you can get to your quarterback, your defensive backs have time to make turnovers because that quarterback going to panic. He's going to throw it. He's going to be a Brett Favre, do something stupid. You, be, you don't – the quarterback not going to have that much time in the pocket to eat your defense up. We do need that. I got if you, bro. get that, man, I think our defense, our team would actually be onto something. But I wouldn't be mad if we get a wide receiver if he's a playmaker that can produce – more weapons on this offense is good because it's a passing league. But you also have to play some defense. You got to protect your quarterback, open the hole for the running back. That's my take, RP. Oh, RP, one last thing. There it is. Now, what y'all had a good take on foot earlier, but I put it this way: someday, if they ever examine um, foot brain, he's going to be able to cure delusion. That's all I want to say. <laughs> Paul, thank one, you bro. for the phone call. <laughs> have a good day, bud. Look, I know we're up against the break, and baseball seasons is here. There's no excuse for the Yankees not to be a World Series contender. But you know why they're not? Has nothing to do with their lineup. Has nothing to do with their pitching staff. Has nothing to do with that. You know what it is? They don't have the right skipper. I've been saying it for four years. And Cashman... And George's boy keep believing that this guy, Aaron Boone, is the guy because they're loyal to him because he hit a home run against the Boston Red Sox years ago. He is not that guy. He is not that guy. That's what holds the Yankees back. That's what holds the Yankees back. He does not make good in-game adjustments as a skipper. And Dusty Baker eats his lunch every single time. Until that changes, the Yankees aren't going to be able to get over the hump and be World Series champions again. Not with that guy in their dugout. Got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk about the Pelicans, winners of five straight. Oh, schedule the parade. It's time for a celebration. Ali Cassell joins us next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Should the New Orleans Saints draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds of the draft? Someone asked me that yesterday and thus prompted our poll question of the day. And right now, overwhelmingly, you guys are saying nope, 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 nope. 68% say nada. 32% say yes. Hudat Forever says take Xavier Hutchinson in the third, one of the most underrated players in the draft, Tyler Boyd 2.0. Ooh, I like that. I like that. If you can get that guy in the third round, do that all day long. Absolutely do that all day long. 
Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. No need to get crazy. Okay? No need. No need to get crazy. No need to get salty with one another. Let's keep it respectable today, shall we? We are efforting Ali Cassell. If we're unable to get him, we'll just make sure to reschedule it for later in the week. Pelicans have won five straight. Now, they haven't beat, defeated a bunch of world beaters either, right? Let's be honest. But they beat the teams they were supposed to beat. Last night, they took down Portland. Portland shut it down. They're playing G League guys, and Damian Lillard has been shut down for the season. They are conceding. They have no desire to make the play-in tournament. And you know what? They're looking ahead. They're looking ahead to the offseason. But with winning five straight, and yes, it came against the Rockets and the Spurs and Charlotte and some bad teams. The Clippers are a good team. The Clippers are a team that's fighting to be in the top six. The Pels, though, have positioned themselves now at the number eight spot. They're 38 and 37 overall. And they've won five straight, seven of their last ten. The schedule does get really, really hard now. Because the problem for the Pels, and it's a problem for everyone else too. This is just not a Pels problem. This is a problem for all the teams in the Western Conference. Clippers, Timberwolves, Warriors, Pelicans, Lakers, Thunder, Mavericks. All those teams are vying to get into the postseason. The only two teams in the West have went ahead and clinched playoff berths are the Nuggets and the Grizzlies. That's it. That leaves everyone else. Now, Sacramento's going to get there in a few days. Phoenix, I feel, is going to get there. But the Suns, they're only a half game up on the Clippers. The Clippers are only a full game up on the Timberwolves and the Warriors. The Timberwolves and the Warriors are only a half game up on the Pelicans. The Pelicans are only a full game up on the Lakers and the Thunder. And the Mavericks are only half game back of the Lakers and the Thunder. So the last seven games, we're going to see an immensely fluid situation here in the Western Conference standings for the playoffs. And we've seen it for the better part of the last month, haven't we? Back and forth. Team goes up to six or seven or eight, then they fall down to 13 four days later. There's constant movement. And this is not going to stop for the rest of the season because here's the thing. All these teams are playing for something. No one wants to be in the play-in tournament. I can guarantee you Golden State does not want to be in the play-in tournament. So they're going to be fighting to avoid the play-in tournament at all costs. The Lakers, with now LeBron James back in the fold, are fighting to get into the play-in tournament. Now, could the Lakers catch fire and get into the top six maybe because here's the thing the Lakers right now are the nine seed if the playoffs began today they're only a game and a half out of the sixth spot that's it so even the Lakers as much of a dumpster fire as they've been all season long as it stands now with seven games to go they still have a chance to be a top six seed in the west think about that they still have a chance 
So everyone is still going to be battling. Everyone is still going to be fighting. We talked about it earlier. Maybe the next to last game of the season for the Pels, which is at home against the Knicks. That's the regular season finale at home inside the Smoothie King Center. Maybe the Knicks, who are right now the five seed in the West, in the East, the top four seeds are already clinched playoff berths. Maybe they don't have anything to play for by that time. But Tom Thibodeau is notorious for playing his guys even when they're games that don't mean anything. Thus, why so many of his players get banged up. That's not how Tom's built. But maybe you get you catch a break there in the next to last game and the Knicks decide to take a rest, right? But look at the rest of the Pelican schedule. It's against teams they're all in the same boat as they are. They're all trying to get to the same destination. They're all trying to get off the boat and get on the playoff island. Golden State tonight trying to avoid the play-in tournament. Denver trying to lock up the one seed on Thursday. The Clippers trying to stay in the top six. Sacramento trying to lock up one of those top four seeds as well. Memphis They're still going to have plenty to play for, and they always gear up for the Pelicans, even though the Pelicans kind of own the Grizzlies, which is a weird thing. Then the Knicks, and then at Minnesota. At Minnesota in the regular season finale in Minneapolis could determine if one of those two teams makes it in the top six or makes it into the play-in tournament. Every one of these games, a team, the teams that the Pelicans are facing in their last seven games have something on the line. Every single one of them. And they're... And they're all good, too. And they're all good. They're not like, it's not like you're playing, yeah, you're not playing sub 500 teams at all. I did want to throw in just because the Pels play the the Warriors tonight. We talked about how important it is. Um, I'm looking for a Jonas Valanciunas big time game tonight. Um, The Warriors have been playing a small ball lineup where they start Steph, Clay, Draymond, Kevon Looney. It's like a bunch of, they don't start a guy over 6'9 right now. So they're playing this small ball, which we've seen the Warriors have a lot of success with that. Of course, they get out and run, and they you know they hit a bunch of threes and things like that. But um, we've seen the Pelicans kind of be able to play bully ball at times with Jonas inside when he's you know he's one of the more skilled offensive big men in the league. So now does Golden State play a little bit of a different defensive lineup against this matchup with Valanciunas? Maybe so, but either way, I think they have an advantage inside. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Valanciunas can do to try and control the flow of the game offensively early on. And uh, from there, look, you know you know what Golden State's going to try and do. They've got guys who can shoot it from everywhere, and Steph Clay, Jordan Poole off the bench right now. Um, but I think the Pelicans have a shot. I, I, I was surprised to hear their like eight-and-a-half-point underdogs, I think, was mentioned on the VSEN commercial. I, I was surprised by that because I think the Pelicans have a fighting chance tonight. But we'll see. Can they get over the hump and beat a legitimate contending playoff Western Conference team on the road? We saw it with the Clippers. The Clippers had some injury things here and there. This Warriors team is, is for the most part, you know, they have their guys. So let's see if this uh, if this Pelicans team can step up to the occasion second of a back-to-back. They have a great advantage. They have not advantage. I'm sorry. They have a great opportunity in front of them. They're riding five-game winning streak, have won seven of ten. Now you're going to take down the def- – you have a chance to face off against the defending world champs tonight. Then you have a chance to face off against the number one seed and in many people's eyes, the favorite to win the Western Conference. You get that chance this week. So you can make a big statement about your team and what its potential is 
by getting some wins here. Look, I like their chances in a couple of those games down the stretch. I like their chances against the Clippers. They play well against them. Plus, they're still not going to have Paul George. Well, I, I like that. Plus, that's at home. But here are two games on the road, and if you're going to make a run in the play-in tournament and you're going to make a run in the playoffs, guess what? you got to beat good teams on the road. you got to do it. And for those of us who want to see Zion play, and of course we, we had talked about the idea of shutting him down completely, if they fall out of this play-in tournament, things like that. Well, if you win a couple more of these games, you've got even more incentive to get him back if he does prove to be healthy next week when he's reevaluated. So win a couple of these games and I think you see Zion play in the last few and head into the playing tournament and maybe have uh have some fun times again with New Orleans basketball. We'll see. I love fun times. I have fun I have I'm fun. also a fan of fun times, yes. Do you have fun uh from 6 to 9 weekday mornings? Oh, every day. Oh. There it is. There it is. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see what the Pelicans can do tonight. I mean, getting a win over Golden State. Whew, That'd be good. That'd be big. And once again, every there's like six or seven teams that are all in the same boat as the Pelicans. It's going to be a dogfight to come down the stretch, which means it's going to make for entertaining basketball, which we don't always get, right? Because a lot of these playoff spots are already taken care of. So we're going to have meaningful basketball at the very tail end of the regular season. I'm here for that. I'm here for that. I'm not here for the playing tournament, which I think is garbage, but... I do like meaningful basketball at the end. I would like to point out before the break that it would be just as fun and meaningful if everyone was fighting for the eighth seed instead of the meaningless nine and ten seeds. But <laughs> yes, we had to do that. Yes, yes. Thank you, Dawson. <laughs> and that's your daily complaint about the play-in tournament, courtesy of RP3 and company. You're welcome. We got to take a timeout when we return. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize the poll question of the day, and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guests to join us here on this stormy edition of RP3 and Company. Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast. Reminder, the season begins Thursday. Thursday. Astros will be at home welcoming in the White Sox there at Minute Maid Park. And you can listen to that game on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. also want to thank Jim Cazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press. For joining us, talking all things McNeese Cowboys, baseball, softball, men's basketball, and of course, a little spring football. Poll question of the day, final results. We asked you, should the Saints draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds? You know, this was prompted after they signed Edwards yesterday. This uh, Edwards was a very good college wide receiver at South Carolina, rewrote all their record books, was a third-round pick of the Raiders. 
started making some headway there in 2021. Would look like to be a pretty reliable, maybe number three wide receiver. New coach comes in, Josh McDaniels, and all of a sudden he's shipped out to Atlanta for a seventh-round draft pick. Doesn't make it with the Falcons this year. They were a dumpster fire, gets cut, and then signs to be on the practice squad for the Chiefs. So he's going to be a young man who's going to be motivated. He's going to have a chip on his shoulder, and he's a big-body kid, six foot two, right? 215 pounds, 220 pounds. So he could be that big-body wide receiver that you need on the roster in addition to Michael Thomas. But... Can he get back on track? Can reuniting with Derek Carr solve that? And does that solve the Saints' concerns at wide receiver? Michael Thomas hasn't played in three years. Chris Olave was good last year, but he was a rookie. Shahid has shown great potential. Can they build upon that, or is he going to be the next Kirkwood slash Callaway slash name a you know, undrafted late draft pick wide receiver for the Saints in the last five years that turned out not to be a good player? or a consistent player. And the Saints do like to draft wide receivers in the first two rounds. I've told you this over and over again. O-line, D-line, DB, wide receiver. Those are the four position groups they love drafting more than anything in the first two rounds. Should the Saints draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds of the draft? 66% of you came in and said no. 34% say yes. Thanks to all who voted, and thanks to all of you who left your comments this morning as well on our poll question of the day. We appreciate you. Final thoughts on this Stormy Tuesday. Do you believe the Saints should draft? Not will they, but should they draft a wide receiver with their first, with either their first-round pick or their second-round pick, Dawson, go? If it makes sense, then sure, but you don't have to force it. So I think that's, again, that's what the Saints have put themselves in position to do, and that's Correct. the position you want to be in. So. I think that's fine. If they really like a guy, then I'm fine with it. But if they don't, they don't have to be desperate. Right. And I think Brian Edwards is high upside, low risk. Um, If he never plays it down, I wouldn't be shocked. If he's a fairly productive player, I wouldn't be all that shocked either. Correct. Um, That's the types of moves you make at this stage of free agency once the big chips have fallen into place. So uh, I'm fine with everything they've done so far. I agree. And I think they're just going to take the best player available and the one that they really want. And I still think that could be a pass rusher. That's going to do it for today's edition of RP3 and Company. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next here on The Game.